Our gospel lesson today comes from Matthew 25, beginning in the 14th verse with the words of Jesus. For it will be, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. And here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But this master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming. I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. Forever, for to everyone who, who has will more be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now you may be thinking, gospel of the Lord, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's dig in and uh, discover how and, and why as we get into this text today. We, we jump into this parable, a series of four parables in the gospel of Matthew, teaching us to be ready, to be ready for the parousia, ready for the coming of Christ, the return. Jesus says in chapter 24, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. So what does it mean to be prepared? And how do we do that? What does it look like? In reading this parable, it may feel like law. But I'm going to suggest today as we come to this text that there's not just law here, there's also gospel. And that God is inviting us to play free. You ever hear that term maybe with 
uh, a sports announcer on your favorite team. Uh, the, he's really swinging the bat free. He's really playing free. There's a big moment, but yet they're really loose. They're playing free. Or maybe uh, you've been invited to do that in a symphonic orchestra, and your co- conductor says, don't worry about the notes. Just play free. Play the music. Let the music come out. This is the invitation in this parable. For when we play with fear, the irony is is that we miss out on the reward. We miss out on the beauty of music. We bury our talent in the ground. This is the invitation today to serve the Lord, but to play free. I have a confession as we begin. I chose this parable as the final parable in this series uh, because it was so troubling to me. Uh, I feared this parable. I read this parable in some ways like that third recipient of the talent uh, received his. Better not be like that guy. I even read commentators who wrote uh, 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 comments in the text about it. Well, I hope when you're reading this, you're not like this third guy, right? We come to this text and we think of it like that. And we come to it like that third recipient does with fear. Oh, time is money. You know, and the end time is coming. We better get this right, right? I better pay what's right. Pay what's his. I want us to take time this morning to lean into, I think, what's being said, really being said here. To lean into the, the, the Greek text that Stephen Paulson, a Greek scholar and theologian, talks about in his podcast, Outlaw God on 1517.org. And as we lean into this text and its interpretation, I think we're going to discover that we can Not play in fear. Worried about the outcome. Worried, will I get my reward? Will I win the championship? Will I be able to play this song? We can play free. And in so doing, truly enjoy what God has for us. Well, let's begin by exploring whether or not this parable is law or gospel. And you can't answer that question without wondering as we come to this parable, what it's all about. And to understand that, we have to go to verse 1 of chapter 25. In verse 1 of chapter 25, you hear Jesus say, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like. Now take that now, that introduction to verse 14, where he says, For it will be like. He's continuing the same uh, invitation. What? Is the kingdom of heaven like? This parable is an answer to the question, what is the kingdom of heaven like? Now, if you read this parable uh, like I have in the past, that this parable is about my piety and what I'm supposed to do, then you will miss that this is actually about the kingdom of heaven. And that begins with pretty gigantic, enormous 
gifts, amazing generosity from our King, the Master, our Coach, our Conductor, Jesus. So what does He do at the beginning of this parable in verse 14? He gives to His servants. He entrusts in them. He gives over to them His property. And He does it in this enormous way with these talents. Now, a talent, as scholars will tell us, uh, was at first a measurement of weight, right? Maybe 26 to over 50 pounds. A measurement of weight of gold, of silver, or copper. There's some hint here that we're talking silver. And then later, talaton, it was actually a, a coin. A coin of great value. So whether it's 50 pounds of silver, that's a lot, right? Or uh, a coin uh, worth much. Researchers, some have estimated that a talent was worth 15 to 20 years of wage. So whether you get one of those, two of those, or five of those, the point is, it's a lot of money, right? And it's a lot of responsibility. And the, the master entrusts these gifts to his servants. And it's even more than that. Because his property, this word for property in verse 14, in Greek it's hyparko. This word for property actually means, or can be translated not only as property, but also is used to talk about being. And so what we hear from our master who comes to us, the word made flesh, Jesus comes to us. And before he goes away, before he ascends, he gives us his very being, his body. He dies on the cross and rises from the dead and gives us the Holy Spirit. His very being is given to us. He comes to us fully. We're about to celebrate that coming at Christmas. And so what does He give? He doesn't just give us a lot of money. He gives us His very being. In verse 15, keep going. How does He give it? It seems kind of unfair. I mean... When he tells this parable in Luke, and scholars agree, it's Jesus telling uh, two different parables, but rifting on the same theme. He uses minas instead, and he gives everyone the equal amount. But here, it's not very fair at all. I mean, one guy gets five, and one guy only gets one? Come on. Not fair at all. And yet he says he gives, not unlike we hear in Romans 12, where... Uh, and echoing that, given according to the grace given to each of us, he gives according to their ability. According to their ability. And what is that ability? Some uh, translators translate a little bit differently. That word is dynamin, or power, or where we get the word dynamite. According to, and some have translated, it's not just power, but wonder-working power. Some of you even translate it as Paulson does, wonder-working power. 
So according to their wonder-working power, He gives them His very being, this enormous, huge gift. Now, that leaves us the question, well, what power is this, right? Well, the church has been trying to uh, wrestle with and has uh, struggled with that question for a long time. 500 years ago, Erasmus and Luther argued about it. Erasmus thought, oh, I know what that power is, as uh, one scholar points out. That power is willpower. That power is my decision. And Luther says, hold up, wait a minute. Uh, I don't think so. I think what is being traded here, what is being exchanged, is something else. It's His very being. The Word made flesh given to us. Doing its work and performing. And so Luther will argue, and so will I, that it's not my willpower or yours that is the dynamin, the wonder-working power. It's the Word given to us in Christ. And so we hear that in verse 16 when we see that Word for exchange. At once He traded with them. Exchange, it's a financial term, but it's also a word that says it does its work, it performs, it's effective. And the Scripture teaches us that the Word keeps its promises. It does its work, it's effective. This gift, the Word, His very being, this is the gift of the Master. Now, the parable doesn't tell us about what happens in between the time that the Master is away for a long time and until He comes again period that we're living in now. But when he returned to the parousia, we know that that word was effective. So we don't get to hear the stories of the ups and the downs of the investment of the work of this effective word. But we know that he keeps his promises exponential. Both the, the first recipient of five and the second recipient of two double their impact, Right? They act immediately. They trust the coach who sent them on the playing field. They trust the conductor who lifts the baton. They trust the master who invites them to let this gift do its work and perform. And so the master calls him. God calls us good and faithful Servants, when we do that, that word pistos, that's translated trustworthy or faithful, interestingly, is also the same word we use in the New Testament and here for believing, for faith. And so what did these first two servants do? They, by faith, trusted in the gift that had been given to them, so therefore they were called good and faithful. Later in the next parable, as some will point out, that, uh, just to note that this isn't about the outcome of their inc- impact that makes them declared good and faithful. Those who were good and faithful in the next parable didn't even know they were good and faithful when they were doing it, right? And so here, 
we're reminded that the key matter, as Paul said, all right, is not their act, but his. It's pistos, it's faith. Luther's going to come at this later on. The issue of your time, is it either going to be law or gospel? Is it your deed or act? Did I do this act and make a decision to align myself with the will of God? Is it my willpower as the dynamo? Or is it instead that my being is now being determined by faith? Now conversely, as another scholar will point out, uh, what happened in our third recipient, the, the one talent dude, right? It's believed... He believed a lie about God. He believed a lie about God, and we know that by the speech that he prepared, right? Now, it's a lot different than the speech that we heard prepared in the parable of the prodigal son. Even that prodigal knew that the father would have some form of mercy for him. He didn't expect the overwhelming mercy that he got, right? But he came to his father hoping he'd be made a servant, and God blessed him and called him son and welcomed him home. God ran to him. Now conversely, in this parable, this servant has a different speech prepared. Not one with a repentance. Not one with, uh, I know that you're a good father, but no, what does he say? I know that you are harsh. I know that you are a stickler to the law. You reap what you don't sow. And so, I've taken what you've given me and I'm giving it back to you. I've met the uh, expectation. I've, you know, there's no love there. There's no repentance. There's no reception of the gift that had been given, the overwhelming grace Instead, it's a rejection of it. It's a, it's a choice to live in not by faith, but in fear. And the outcome of living in that fear, of living by his own willpower, instead of that, of the gift of the being of the Savior who is there for him, is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the question for me, and I think for you, is how do we live? Are we living in fear? There's many of us that think that that, that's what God's coming to do. Uh, He's a long-bearded, harsh God coming to crush us. Until we see Jesus... Are you fretting the minutes given to you? Are those minutes minutes of law? Or are they minutes of, law, of gospel? Uh, I, 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 time is money. And I, I didn't use this one minute right. I better get this right. Or things won't be right. Or are you depending on the wonder-working power, the dynamo of God's word, the good news of the gospel? who gifts you with this time. And these minutes that we have are gifts. Gifts. It's so easy for me, and maybe it's easy for you, to 
to fall into the trap of reading this with fear. Instead of reading this with the reception of the gospel and in faith. As we heard in the other parables, the fruitfulness is not up to us. It's just to scatter the seed and trust the word. Trust the father who comes running for us. Trust the master who began this parable by giving to us with enormous generosity. Notice the first two servants responded to the master with fear and love. And the latter just fears and buries his gift. We reject and cast out that gift. We see the end result of that in this parable. But when we remember who has the power that the word is effective, it does everything. Everything changes. And we can play free. We can get on the playing field of our lives as friend or parent, or brother, or sister, or employer, or employee, and live out on that playing field. And what will God do when we play free? He will multiply it exponentially. It's not that we don't play or that we don't heed the Master's call to exchange and trade. It's that we do it out of faith and not fear. When the coach or the conductor puts us out to perform, we can do it with joy. Did you catch that? When we do it with faith, we enter in, did you hear what Jesus said to those two? Enter into the joy of your master. And so friends, today, this morning, if you've been playing with fear and bearing a gift, I invite you to remember the enormity of God's grace that He has poured out. He has come and given His very being and poured out Himself to each of us. And yes, in the ascension, He has gone away for a while, but He is coming back. When He calls us to account for all of us who have received this overwhelming gift of generous grace and mercy through pistos, through faith. We will see at the end that He will double that impact through His Word being effective. His Word is the dynamo. His Word is the power. It's not that we made it, we gained it. And so, you can know the love of the Master who invites you and me to divide law and gospel properly and see the usury of His gifts as fruitfulness, exponential impact. We can get on the playing field when we leave this place. Not with the worry of whether or not if my play will bring about the triumph or the success. And with the fear that might come from a harsh master. But we can play free knowing our Savior. We can play free and see that double impact at the end. We can play free and enter 
into the joy of your Master. Amen.